0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Investing with IBD Podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's December 8th, 2021, and... We have on the show today uh, myself, Justin Nielsen, your host, as always, Arusha Paris, our O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, will be joining us in the third segment. But right now, I have the pleasure of talking to Dave Ellison. He's a Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds and uh, has a lot of experience in the industry. We were talking yesterday, and uh, I'm really excited to get some of his insights, especially on the financial sector, which is uh, where his specialty lies. So uh, welcome to the show, Dave.
1: Thanks, Justin. It's the first time I've been on, so hopefully uh, I'll, I'll be—you know—I'll say something intelligent. Yeah, and if, if you do,
0: we'll even have you back. How about that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just one intelligent thing. Our, our standards are low, so it's okay. Yeah, uh, right. Well, you know, let's start with a little bit of your history. Um, you know, you were telling me how you you started at Fidelity back in 1982, um, which, of course, that was the start of this major bull market run that, you know, was, was phenomenal all the way up until 2000, really Um, Mm -hmm. with some breaks, of course, in between like 1987, but um, you also had the benefit of uh, getting some tutelage from this uh, investor that we know of Peter Lynch. Uh, So maybe talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about the start and some of the things that you, you learned from that legend.
1: Well, I think, you know, when I, when I joined Fidelity, I, I, uh, you know, the director of research, uh, Dick Haverman, came to me and said, "Well, you know, we're, we're going to give you the the banks, the small banks to follow." Mm-hmm. There'd been a lot of banks uh, converting to public ownership, the mutual conversion, which was a big thing back then. And uh, and and the reason why he gave me that that job or gave me those companies is because I'd been a teller when I was in high school and college okay. over the summer. So. So I, you know, his his view was that I was an expert on banks. <laughs> so, so that was the early days of choosing analysts at Fidelity. That's that's uh-huh. that was the standard. So I jumped over a low bar uh-huh. uh, before it got a lot higher later on. So uh,
0: so you could but, have been in the automotive industry just by virtue of having driven a car. Uh- that was
1: something like that, right? <laughs> or, right? Right? Or, or or done alcohol on the on, on the bank, actually drinking alcohol. So, but I mean that that was you know, I, I got there and the company was very small. The, nobody really cared about the market. Uh, rates were at, fed funds were at 17, 18%. The money market funds were yielding 12 or 13%. That's where most of my money was, which was mm-hmm. you know, $1,000 at that time. And, you know, and then, then you had this big, you mentioned this big shift started to happen. I didn't predict it. I didn't expect it. I just went along with it, but, um, It was a, you know, interesting time because you went from being uh, sort of unnoticed to suddenly everybody wanted to hear what you had to say because the market was going up and somehow people were, you know, starting, even back then they were confusing genius with a bull market. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just played, you know, the company just played along with it and, you know, now here we are. So, uh, but I, you know, I did that for 13, 14 years and and then I started a a mutual fund company inside of FBR. Uh, which was a broker dealer in DC, and then we sold that in uh, 2012, and now I'm back to my old Fidelity days of just being an analyst and a portfolio manager. So I've I've come full circle in my right. career.
0: Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So you know, one of the things that, of course, a lot of people in in this market are looking at. Gosh, you know, we've 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 had this whole run, and and I mean, you had the coronavirus crash. You know, some people are looking at the run that we've had since. The great financial crisis of 2008, and you know, kind of thinking of that as uninterrupted, I, I kind of view it myself as, hey, we did have some pauses in there, some some corrections through time, at least. But then, of course, we had this coronavirus crash. And now, uh, certainly one of the mentalities that's becoming entrenched, it seems, uh, especially based on the action of this last week is this whole buy on the dips mentality. Um, so you know, some, sometimes this is something that gets entrenched and it's something that absolutely works until it doesn't. Um, but is this something that you're seeing yourself? Do you think that it's uh, worth pursuing the buy on the dips strategy or are there any cautions that you have against it?
1: Well, I think the, the bigger question or the bigger uh, observation is that uh, 2008 was kind of the culmination of many years of financial deregulation and financial growth, where the financial sector, mutual funds, bonds, private equity, individual investing, stock trading, you know, uh, was growing much faster than the overall economy. Uh, you know, this year, the s and is up, what, 20-something percent, mm-hmm. The economy is not up 20 percent. Right. So it's growing faster than the economy by by big multiples. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's been doing that for many years. Uh, And and so I think that was a period where the financial system got so big, so unregulated, so uncontrolled and so unknown by the Fed because there were a lot of new products. Mm -hmm. And I've always found in financial services, the new products are where the problems are. Yeah. You know, the, the, the traditional mortgage was not a problem. The, the no-doc liar loan was a problem. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between those two. Or the, the way they were packaged, right? <laughs> which well, was then, the new yeah, product. Well, you had that <laughs> part too, right, where they were yeah. packaging and holding. and mm-hmm. and uh, But anyway, there was accounting changes. We went from no mark to market to mark to market on assets and a lot of other things. Leverage came in. They could do a lot mm-hmm. of things they could do that you, you sort of heard about after the fact that, well, I can't. To do this stuff and of course it was already too late yeah but what, what we had then is then the fed came in and said look guys in these to, to the big banks saying look you guys kind of messed it up you're over your skis you're all going to fail if we don't come in and really do something big they did that and the the quid pro quo was that we're going to take you over in a sense we want to nationalize you through dodd frank through the stress the stress tests so now the big banks are all controlled in a sense by the fed what they can do, how much they can leverage, what put it, do they have to have, whether they can buy anybody or sell anybody. And that was the beginning of basically the Fed sort of taking over the financial system in a much, much bigger way. Um, and, and that started this idea, well, if, if the Fed's going to be there, then you can buy the dip because they're, they're not going to let the market go down a lot. So this buy the dip thing really, to me, was was it began when the Fed really started to become a much bigger factor in how financial assets were priced and so they've they've taken over a lot of the pricing of financial assets Mm
2: -hmm.
1: bonds stocks you know real estate junk bonds regular bonds because they're buying it all or they're saying look if if it gets ugly we'll just buy it we'll just buy whatever we need to buy to keep the thing going Mm -hmm. so if they're going to control those prices there's no reason not to buy the dip because they won't let it go that far
0: so now, uh, of course, in this last month, we've we've had a lot of the talk of uh, what's going to be happening with the taper. You know, some of this uh, easier money. I mean, 120 billion dollars a month injected. You know, in the form of buying assets, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, some of that going away. Maybe a little bit more hawkish comments lately from Powell, in addition to the removal of the word transitory uh, when when describing inflation. Um, is Is that a little bit of this, you know the fear of taking taking away the punch bowl, or is this, in your mind, like a temporary fear because they they're they're always going to be so willing to bring the punch bowl back if people complain too much?
1: Well, I think the punch bowl is now required, you mm-hmm. know not not a luxury. Hmm. Um, and that's just the nature of you know how prices are are set and how the economy works. If you let things get, you know, too high and and you can control it, you know, the downside of letting it go down is pretty damaging. But I I think sort of what's happened in the bigger picture is that it used to be about the the temperature of the water in the bathtub. That determined what the Fed was going to do. They would raise rates, lower rates, depending on the temperature of the water in the bathtub. Now it's the level of the water in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. So we've gone from hot economy and cold economy to a liquid economy or illiquid economy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And right now, there is because of the pandemic and what the Fed has done because of the pandemic and what the what the uh, the, the fiscal policy has done is they've injected so much money into the system that now we have an incredibly liquid economy, well, an incredibly liquid financial system that has, in a sense, all the money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, they, and they, they're struggling to inject it into the economy. So if you take the largest, you know, the top four banks, you take, you know, Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, those are the biggest American banks and their, their deposits um, exceed their loans by $6 trillion. Mm-hmm. I mean, those numbers are just way off the charts historically. Right. So that money is sitting there trying to get injected into the economy and they're struggling to do that. Because the 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 economy just either can't handle it or doesn't doesn't know what to do with it, and they have you know so and and then you look at most of the big companies, the top twenty or thirty big companies in America by let's say market cap, right? They've all got tons of money too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the system is just the the bathtub is full, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what the temperature of the water. When the bathtub is full, you got to be careful, or else you're going to spill it on the water on the floor, and so. So the question now is if they're going to start reducing liquidity, um, which I think is, you know, probably you might as well try it because, you know, going the way we're going now is destabilizing. The other way is destabilizing too, but you might as well try it and see what happens because you, you can't just keep flooding them. The, the system already has too much money. Right. And so, I mean, and that's why you're getting inflation. And so they've got to find a way to tamp that down. So I think whatever they do is a, is ultimately a positive to kind of take some of the water down in the bathtub.
0: Okay. So this kind of gives, a, I guess, an overarching theme of, of some of the things that you're seeing. Um, when we come back, maybe we can get a little bit into um, how investors can benefit uh, or find some alpha when there's so much liquidity in here. And so we'll, we'll get to that right after the break. We'll be right back. Do you feel like you're always late to the best trades? You don't have to kick yourself for those missed opportunities any longer. Today is your day. Vantage Point's artificial intelligence has helped traders of all experience levels with its predictive analysis forecasting. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how their AI automatically recognizes global market patterns well ahead of the news to help you pick the best trade. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com to join a free live training session today. Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Don't hesitate. Save your seat now. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance welcome back to investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point it's Justin Nielsen here your host along with Dave Ellison portfolio manager at Hennessy funds and uh, Dave of course is a, uh, an expert in finance uh, since he was a teller back in his college days <laughs> that's what started his uh, whole uh, journey here and uh, we were talking a little bit about these big banks um, and you know how much how much they're sitting on in terms of uh, in terms of cash and deposits uh, as opposed to their their lending um, now one of the things that I've been looking at uh, to a degree is the the regional banks. Um, how do the regional banks, some of these smaller guys uh, fit into the picture? Um, are they in the kind of same boat or is there something that they're doing a little bit different that could uh, lead to I, I guess a, a better runway for them in the future for their stocks?
1: Well I think that you know, when it comes to it, it, again, you go back historically. Years ago, rates were much higher. The yield curve was a little messier, and the, the every bank sort of had a different strategy in terms of manage interest rates, manage grad, credit, manage expenses, manage their their uh, consolidation opportunities or merger, and, and, and you know, and acquisition opportunities. Um, and that is all kind of flattened out, meaning that. Most of the banks have the same yield on assets, give or take. They all roughly have the same cost of funds because everything's been homogenized. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no regional differences in mortgage rates or deposit rates or costs of doing business. Um, And so these these sort of regional banks, I call them sort of piles of assets waiting for, you know, spring to come so that they can grow again. Mm -hmm. And, and spring is not going to be determined by you know the, the cellular move uh, you know of, of moons and stars it's going to be determined by what the Fed does and what other sort of people decide to want to do and that's a, a just a very difficult position to be in so I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the regionals because they just don't have the girth or the profitability to invest in the future <laughs> and they're stuck in this sort of they're big enough so to, to not be able to do much except deal with the pricing. So, so you know, the, the problem is that they they can't price their assets. The price of their assets is set by the Fed and the marketplace. They can't set the price of their costs, which is their money, which is kind of set by the Fed. Imagine if we went to Apple and said, the Federal Reserve is going to set the price of your phones, right? And the Federal Reserve is going to set the price of your cost of that phone.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I mean, what would the stock do, right? I right. Mean, and so they, they just don't have a lot of control of their future. And so it becomes a difficult you know, thing to buy unless you get this wonderful macro environment, mm-hmm. like a steep yield curve, tons of loan demand, no credit costs, a lot of MA. It's like, OK, well, I guess we're, you know, we I mean, how, how many how many iterations do you need before you, you miss one? Right. So it becomes very difficult. So, yeah. so they're they're kind of just piles of assets waiting to for something that I, I probably am not gonna ever see.
0: Okay. So now, with this homogeny uh, that you're talking about, um, I, I guess where where do you find alpha then? where where do you Where do you get the outperformance? Uh, I mean, certainly a lot of the financials looked like they were setting up. Um, but then, of course, you know, as as the ten year yield, Treasury yield was going up. You know, there were fears that the two year was going up too quickly and flattening the yield curve in that regard. So, so where where do you go to get that alpha? Where do you go to get that outperformance?
1: Well, I think in the in the big companies, you, you you have to own the waterfront property. So it's not necessarily mm-hmm. yes. I own Bank America. I own J P Morgan, but I also own BlackRock and Blackstone and Market Access, and I own Visa and Mastercard. Um, you know, I own, you know, so those other companies is where the alpha is because that's where they have the ability to grow and take share. Mm -hmm. And you hope that somebody like a bank America or JP Morgan, uh, or Wells Fargo has the, the foresight and the ability to see what's going on in the world and be able to act on it because they have the capital to do it. Mm -hmm. And, And so, and, and, you know, I think the other thing the industry struggles with is the fact that they're caught in this vortex of I have to earn more money every year, right. I have to pay a higher dividend and I have to buy back a ton of stock. Mm-hmm. So if they're doing that, and a lot of these companies, the last four or five years, you know, prior to the pandemic, they were, between buybacks and dividends, they were basically paying out more than they were earning. <laughs> uh, and so that's okay. But then if you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's not how Amazon got to be up a thousand fold by right. you know, buying back stock and paying a big dividend. The future is not paying dividends and doing a buyback. The future is investing in the future.
2: Mm.
1: And I think these companies are struggling to make that transition because they're so stuck on the idea that they need to buy back stock and pay a big dividend. And I think it's hurting the industry's ability to, uh, you know, in a sense, compete with these new, Tech companies that are entering their business.
0: Yeah, so let's let's get into that a little bit. So, um, what kind of technology do you see as being the driving force? Of course, you know fintech, crypto. Uh, you know these buzzwords are on a lot of people's minds. What's what's your take on some of these? Uh, is this is this where you think you can get more of that outperformance, or is it you know a, a wait and see right now to to see who becomes the I guess the dominant force there?
1: Well, I think it's it's okay. You know, I think it's okay to wait and see, but I think there, because I just think that there's enough uncertainty about how it's going to play out. And I think you have sort of a, a three-way race here or a three-way game that people are playing. And one is the sort of this crypto, DeFi, blockchain crowd that, you know, that is sort of this idea that they're going to tear down the existing structure mm-hmm. and we're going to move in, the dollar's going to collapse, um, the system's going to break. And we're gonna ha- we're gonna own this this blockchain crypto stuff and have all the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second group is sort of the embedded technologies that are there, that are you know let's say the Visa and Mastercard are the ones that you you know American Express would come to mind where they have the embedded infrastructure to do paperless transactions and so on and so forth. And that's been a you know obviously a huge winner for for many decades. And then the last group is what the central banks are going to do and how are they going to either you know, become part of those two other groups, and they already are part of the Visa MasterCard group, because you know, but are they gonna sort of embrace this blockchain, DeFi, crypto thing, or are they gonna create their own universe that, you know, that's gonna compete with it or something? So I think you're in this weird thing where um, does it really matter to me? Uh, you know, I, I get a paycheck, the money goes into my account, uh, I use my Visa card. I, you know, I, I, I write checks for other things. The, these things don't impact me. These are more things that are going to impact the company. And the idea that you go to the, the coffee shop and you put your card into a Square thing versus an Affirm thing versus a Toast thing versus a Visa, you know, it doesn't matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All these things are kind of the same. So, to some degree, the homogenization, the the homogenization of the fintech is already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be, you know, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, then PayPal and Square came along mm-hmm. and they were kind of the new guys. And those, those stocks have done great, you know, over the last four or five years, but now there's like, like 30 of these fintech companies yeah. and they're all trying to, you know, get into your wallet and all this crazy stuff, whatever. Um, or provide so, the loans.
0: You have like the right, Affirm, the upstarts, right, you know, that are right. trying to... So, put the loan industry on its head. Right.
1: Right. But that, but that's basically the pay, you know, the buy now pay later is, is I saw an ad where they, you know, something was like $200 and they said, you know, $19 a month through a firm, you know, you could Mm -hmm. sit there and go, so, so you're going to be buying, you know, uh, TVs on time. You're going to be buying, you know, hundred dollar items, you know, a new coffee pot for on time at a firm (laughs) or something. So these things are just, you know, you know, the, We've gone a long time now without a real credit test in the system. And um, and credit usually is the big opportunity for me um, in terms of picking the stocks that are gonna weather that credit event. And unfortunately the the pandemic hit and the Fed took away the credit game because they just flooded the system with money and credit wasn't a problem, even though the banks were all worried about it. So I think at some point, you know, we're, we're going to have a credit event. It may not happen in my lifetime because the Fed maybe won't allow it. But uh, so we'll see. But, you know, crypto, you know, to me, I, I look at Bitcoin as, as sort of the, you know, it depends where you're looking. It's the disco ball at the dance. Everybody's in the circle dancing and everybody looks up at the ball and they see something different in that moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody, people view it as a store of value. It's better than gold. They view it as an inflation hedge. They view view it as an alternative currency to everything. Uh, People view it, well, it's gonna go up, so I'm gonna buy it. Uh, So it it means a lot of things to a lot of people and that's creating the excitement because if you think it's a store of value and it's better than gold, and I think it's gonna be the next currency of the future, those are two different things. (laughs) And yet you're buying it and I'm buying it, right? So if everybody's buying it for their reason, it probably is going to go up and which is affirms your belief, right? You know, there's nothing like something going up to affirm your belief that mm-hmm. you're right. Right. Um, uh, so, and, and that's happening in the system now, everybody thinks they're right. That, you know, the reason why they bought it is why it went up. Therefore you've got 20 reasons why it's gone up. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, so you know what, maybe we can kind of end here with, um, you know, the fact that you're a portfolio manager and you're actually running two different funds. You're running a large cap fund for, for Hennessy and also a small cap fund. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the portfolio construction um, that, that you're espousing. Because again, you're kind of looking at some of these big banks, the um, entrenched uh, in, in one way, but then you're also looking at maybe, I mean, are you looking at some of this disruptive technology in the, in the small cap space? And especially given the, what happened with the Russell two thousand in the last few weeks, um, and how a lot of the, the 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 trillion dollar you know mega cap are you know kind of driving the S and P five hundred the Nasdaq higher? You know how do you, how do you kind of put on those two different hats of of playing both the large cap and small cap, and what is what's your overall strategy for both of those?
1: Well, I think the the large cap strategy has changed pretty dramatically in the last 4 or 5 years. The fund used to be primarily banks, to mm-hmm. insurance companies, you know, maybe Visa and Mastercard. Um, and that's changed. I mean, I have sort of, you know, my view is that you've got to own the waterfront properties right. to compete. And that means, you know, owning the biggest banks, owning the the fintechs that are established you know, putting in a few other companies that have waterfront positions, like Moody's, for example, have mm-hmm. owned for a long time. Um, I mentioned Market Access. Right. Uh, you've got names like SoFi, which are, you know, they're not waterfront property, but they could move in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, and that portfolio's probably gone from, you know, 80 to 90, 90% banks to 50%, maybe okay. 40% banks, traditional banks you and I think of. And all the others are these other names that I've been throwing out there. Um, the small cap fund, you know, the, the problem when you get smaller, there's really no fintech
2: mm-hmm.
1: and every, everything gets closer and closer to it's a wonderful life. And so, and, and there was a lot of companies,
2: mm-hmm. you know, there's
1: not that many waterfront properties in financial services. So, you know, I've got 30 names in the portfolio. They're not many more than that in terms of we talk about waterfront. There's a lot of me too. Yeah. Um, and you know, Apple's been waterfront property. It's been the thing to own in tech. So it's like, okay, I, 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 I see the pattern. Let's stay with it. Small cap, there's, I think we probably look at four or, you know, maybe 500 companies every quarter because there's that many that are public in that small cap space, which is we define as 3 billion or less in market cap. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, the smaller you get, the more important managements are. Okay. So that makes it sort of more, um, uh, valuable to have a PM as opposed to just an index guy, mm-hmm. right? Because I can hopefully ferret out the better managements. But management matters. Um, You know, you want to own the buyers and not the sellers because consolidation is a big part of the industry. OK, and- so on the
0: merger and acquisition side.
1: Right. If you can go from, you know, a billion dollar bank to a 50 billion dollar bank and do it accretively. Right. That's, that's going to make money for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got you know, self-help where companies get into trouble, they change managements, you know, they make some bad loans for a couple of years, they bring a new management team in, they clean it up. The stock is, you know, obviously very cheap because of that. And then it rises and that happens a lot of the time, meaning that there's always self-help going on. Mm -hmm. And then the last really big part is valuation. You got to be disciplined on valuation. And typically. You don't want to buy things that are, you know, north of two times book or two and a half times book. And you want it, you got to try to buy things that are under book or close to book with the assumption that they can, you know, improve those returns and trade at some premium above that. So there's just a lot more PMing going on there Mm -hmm. um, because you have so many names.
0: Right now, you know what? Uh, I I know I was said, I was going to wrap it up there, but you know, you brought up the, the topic of valuation and again, um, I guess I, I go back to your analogy of the bathtub, you know, when, when the water level is up so much and a lot of these companies, you know, just broadly have, have these high valuations. Um, are, are you ever afraid of, okay, if, I, if I'm going for those that are, I guess, reasonably priced, I'm missing out on the, the ones that have the most growth potential. How, how do you kind of, um, I guess, manage that, manage that uh, disparity there?
1: Uh, with with humility, uh, it doesn't always it doesn't always work. I think that you know the 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 concern when you have a fast growing financial company is that they're typically growing the portfolio, they're growing the loan book, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that eventually, or usually historically, creates problems because then when credit hits, they're the most exposed because right. they've made the most loans at the top,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And, and so you don't know when that happens. Of course, you, you, everybody thinks they know, but we don't know that.
0: It's easy um, in hindsight.
1: Right. But I think the, you know, the, the struggle now is, as I say to people, one of the big problems with the stock market is the valuation. Mm-hmm. I think to me, it's almost the biggest problem. Because if you look at the top, you know, the top 50 banks, the top 50 you know, companies in America by market cap, there's no problems the companies are making money they're hiring people maybe they're firing people they got plenty of cash it's the valuation that people have a struggle with mm-hmm. um which is why you have these knee-jerk downs because oh guys too it's, it's not to sell and then of course it comes right back and people right. get upset and so so forth so i i think valuation is important but it, and, and that's why the nice thing about the small cap fund is the sample size is so large. You can always find cheap stocks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, relative, it's always relative. There's always the real cheap ones and then the ones that are really expensive. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's a battle. Um, and I think when the, the the problem we have now is, we, as I say, when, you, when you're investing in financials, you make you make your money going from ugly to okay to good to great fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have that cycle. You know, the Fed has kind of taken away that economic cycle. For example, when the pandemic hit, I thought, okay, this is going to be good. We're going to have a credit cycle. Yeah. I'm going to presumably own the better companies that are going to come through it. And so this fundamental ugly to okay to good to great is going to play out, and I'm going to outperform. Right. And they didn't, they didn't let it happen. Yeah. It hardly doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) It doesn't, so you don't have that cycle to play, Hmm. and so now it's like, okay, the fundamental nobody has any non performers. Everybody's margins are about the same. Everybody's trying to grow loans. So what's the, you know, what's the reason to own them? Except maybe there's going to be some spectacular yield curve benefit, some spectacular loan growth, and so you're stuck in this thing where. The, PM being com- the PMing part becomes frustrating because there there are very few self help. There you know there just aren't right. as many as there used to be because nobody's screwing up because yeah. the Fed won't let them <laughs> right. They yeah. just won't allow it to happen. Um, so it, it's more of a struggle than it used to be, and, and that creates the valuation problem because if they're all doing well, they're just not going to get that cheap.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: um, so it's a it's a battle.
0: Yeah. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, You know, again, we don't often get into these deep dives on some of the macroeconomic factors. So uh, you bringing your insight to the show is something that we really appreciate. So thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Okay, and when we come back, Arush and I are going to talk about the market and uh, a few stocks that are on our radar as the market rally is showing more signs of strength. We'll be right back. Do you want to conquer market volatility? We can help you protect your hard-earned capital. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how Vantage Point's AI technology can forecast stock market trends up to 72 hours in advance with incredible accuracy. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds, so you can finally stop guessing what's going to happen next. Check out www.freestockcoaching.com and experience Vantage Point for free. Learn how successful traders generate their wealth. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and now joining me. O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, Arusha Paris, uh, my partner in crime here every week, although yeah, you missed the first two segments. Yeah. But uh, hey, you know what? Sometimes you're a busy man. You've got a lot of, uh, a lot of things you're doing. So let's get right into it, Arusha. Uh, kind of a busy week in the market. Uh, I mean, we had uh, what looked like a massive amount of destruction in a lot of the leading stocks. Uh, and then here we are. Uh, it's a snapback. So um, let's talk a little bit about how people should be positioning themselves how how bearish should they be or is it hey problem solved you know buy on the dip is still in play and we're back on what do you think
3: yeah well i, I think the big thing is to keep an open mind and go slowly mm-hmm. uh, we what what happened last week and you can even see just by looking at the volume with the way we broke and, and it ended up for, forcing the markets team to put it into a correction. Uh, that was justified. Mm-hmm. Distribution days were starting to collect. The The NASDAQ was breaking below the 50-day moving average. And down the last couple of days, you're getting that snap, uh, snapback rally, dead cap bounce, whatever you want to call it. We were going to have some kind of rally because we had sold off so much. Now, after that, we'll probably get closer to the truth of, is this rally going to continue or is this kind of just, are they going to sell into the snapback rally? Now this rally, it's gone up on lower volume, right? It's going up to lower volume right to the area where it started selling off. Mm-hmm. So you want to be patient, incrementally move in. But I think, you know, since we're in a correction, a lot of times the best thing to do right now is, you know, follow Bill's rules. Wait for the fall today. If we're looking at the Nasdaq, this would be day number three. If we get another power, if we get a powerful day up more than 1.25% on volume larger than yesterday, and that that's not a really big threshold to hit right now, uh, then that's at least going to give you a little bit more verification that we might have that year-end rally still in place.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, does the volume signature here
3: bother you at all? Because I mean, look at
0: what happened with the follow through day that we had on October 14th. You just saw this day after day of massive volume. You know, it it just seemed like every day was above average significantly for quite a while there as as you go up that rally. Uh, And then uh, you got the distribution cluster, you know, kind of as you talked about distribution piling up a lot of big volume behind the downward movement. And here our rally, does seem to lack a little bit of that gusto
3: in terms of volume. Is is that a concern for you? It's a little bit of a concern, but it's not as much as a concern um, as it would have been before 2008. Like, you know, after 2008, once we got Mm -hmm. in 2009, we started, the markets kind of shifted and volume, the markets kind of showed that, hey, it can crawl up on lower volume. Mm -hmm. And that that personally threw me off back in 2009 because I was so used to looking at price and volume to confirm right. the price moves both on stocks and indexes. But at that kind of changed so it's not going to bother me as much. In the end, it's going to be the individual stocks that are going to tell me when to get in and, and how, how much to move in also. So uh, if, if individual stocks are starting to act well and there is a whole subset and we'll go over some of these stocks yeah. that there's all it might not it's not the technology stocks not a lot of the growth related stock, the higher valuation stocks, uh, it, it's a lot of this reopen econ, re- reopen plays, mm-hmm. the real economy type of stocks. There are a number of stocks that are working really well and they're kind of ignored what's going on with the NASDAQ. So yeah, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, it doesn't bother me as much. This is just one data point that you want to look at uh, in, in the overall scheme. Yeah, well, and to your point, I mean, with the individual stocks, uh, here again, I feel
0: like Look, I was getting really bearish uh, at at the at the end of September. You know, as we broke below the 50-day moving average line, there. Um, you know, the the beginning of October just looked like, hey, we can we can potentially go go down more. This could be it. Um, but then, you know, even before we had that follow-through day on October 14th, we were seeing a lot of setups, and yes. uh, I feel like the same thing was happening this time around to the point where David Ryan actually jumped on in the middle of IBD Live to just say, hey, hold on, you know. You guys sound really bearish, but there are these setups, so let's not forget about that. Um, and 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 again, as you said, it was in a lot of areas. Um, you know, maybe a, a, some sector rotation, but it was in some of these areas that uh, were a little bit out of favor before. Um, you know, and so yeah, it's. I mean. We we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, If if you pull that up, you can see that it actually bottomed a little bit earlier. And so yesterday could have been a a potential follow-through day on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, It was just missing that volume component because we still do want to see heavier volume on the NYSE volume uh, than the day before. Um, But yeah, there certainly does seem to be some rotation, but I don't know. The last couple of days, uh, a lot of the action seems like it's come from some of your older names snapping back too. I mean, the Teslas, the Nvidias, the um, even Google was—you know, Alphabet was having a, a nice, um, you know, break above a downtrend. Uh, so, is, are we going back to some of the the, the big cap techs, uh, you know, holding holding us holding us afloat
3: to a degree? It seems like that. With the way they, they rebounded, now they they had that snapback. Maybe they need to pull in, and then once again, kind of like the markets, you will have to see if they're going to truly hold here. But I think uh, for a lot of the the stocks and the Dow, and that's in P five hundred, that's where more of the action is going to be taking place. And honestly, it's almost par for the course for the twenty twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. We've had this rotation over and over yeah. again. And this really isn't that much different than the other times where we were surprised at how hard tech got hit and We're like, oh, it's probably a correction. But then a whole other area and the S&P started uh, outperforming too, right? So it just seems like we're still in that type of environment, but the market will trend long enough that it makes us forget. Yeah. <laughs> and, and once again, we'll go through that kind, yeah. kind of just our normal reasoning that. Our growth stocks are getting hit. Must we, it must be a correction instead? Kind of like what David Ryan said and hopping on uh, IBD Live. Hey, you know, keep an open mind here. All those stocks that, especially all those stocks or those areas that he was highlighting back in February of this year, coming up like uh, a lot to the reopen or the the fertilizers and things like that. Maybe that's the area to go through, and go back to, uh, because they're building bases again. A number of them mer- are emerging on a big basis, and maybe the tech stocks, they might need to take a couple of months off and build those bases again. Yeah. So let's take a look at some of these stocks, and maybe we just start with O'Reilly, uh, O R L
0: Y, as the ticker symbol on this one. Um, this is, again, it's not alone. O'Reilly, it's got a lot of group mates that are also. Uh, been participating in this rally here. It's, uh, you know, you've got AAP, you've got AutoZone, um, AZO. And, and so there's, there's, it's not alone, but this is one that just uh, recently broke above a little flat base here. And, you know, here again, the, the move really started early, you know, while the, while the indexes were still pulling back, O'Reilly was, was showing elements of strength early on.
3: Yeah, as a number of the, the stocks that I was in more tech related were getting hit, yeah. I noticed O'Reilly, you know, starting to move up around here. And I was like, huh, you know, may, maybe this is the, the this these are some of the stocks that I should move into. You know, they were showing that relative strength. they were showing that divergence versus versus number of the growth stocks. And so this is a, a pretty decent break. It isn't great. It wouldn't be a surprise uh, to see this pull back, maybe even back to that 660 level. Um, and then kind of test everyone, shake people out. Yeah. And I, I
0: especially with the relative strength, when you have kind of a, a sector rotation and something that looks like it's getting um, its relative strength even better uh, because the market's going down and it's doing well, uh, it, it's nice when you see that it's on multiple timeframes still showing strong relative strength yeah. as opposed to something where it's uh, oh it's only the most recent action that's you know
3: got strong relative strength or um or vice versa so well and and, and we'll go off on a tangent here justin because this is what we love to do but uh, <laughs> but some, some people are asking on twitter it's like hey you know your relative right. strength is lagging right here upstarts come down more than 50 percent Mm-hmm. And the RS ratings are ninety nine. Well, yeah, because it's over twelve months, and over twelve months, it's still outperformed ninety nine percent of the stocks in the database. Yeah. But what you can do is look at that three month and six month, the shorter term uh, time mm-hmm. frames, and the three month, it's only three. It's only outperforming three of the three percent of the stocks in our, in the database. Um, so that's a very easy way that is not where I want to be (laughs) no (laughs) exactly you want to see them all kind of line up uh together but so O'Reilly this was a really easy way just to take a quick look and say the moving averages are they're above all the moving averages Mm -hmm. and on a relative strength on all the time frames they're they're doing well especially if they're all over 90. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, take another look at um, maybe one that is a little
0: bit Uh, trickier right now. It looked like it was trying to break out and maybe is having some struggles there. And that's a Zim shipping. Uh, We've still been talking a lot about the shippers. Um, You know, this has been one of the groups that is, um, you know, shown a lot of strength, but it's, it's recently fallen, fallen back down. Um, It was kind of getting, getting up there for a while. Um, What do you do with something where you've got a breakout in the morning? You know, it was, it was looking strong yesterday. Then it kind of faded at the close. It was looking strong this morning. And then by the close, you've got an outside day closing near the lows, lots of, lots of volume behind it. Um, is this something to be concerned about? Or is it like, hey, you, know, you just need to be patient sometimes with these things?
3: Well, I, I, I think it's a little bit of both here. I, I, you definitely have to be concerned because it was 9.7 million shares traded today, which is the highest volume traded on this whole chart. Mm-hmm. Right, so it went into it, it essentially. Let's see, it went in up to sixty one fifty, almost into all time highs, and got and got hit with a bunch of sellers there. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't necessarily mean it's over. It might have a shakeout uh, and might be able to recover from that. So a lot of times in the case of this, especially when volume comes into it and it reverses, and this is really a bearish engulfing, it's an outside. It took out the highs of the previous day and also took out the lows of the previous day. So it engulfs it um, on a higher volume. That That's a little bit more troubling sign. So here I'm at least forced, if I don't sell the whole thing and within, within a kind of market like it is right now, where it's still, you have to be more cautious than, than bullish. Um, when I see something like this, This is more like, okay, prove it to me again. Either I'm getting out of the whole thing or I'm definitely lighting up by at least half and then letting the other half tell me very quickly and keeping a very tight leash on whatever i remaining. Yeah. Now, one other thing about some of the shippers is they have these really
0: large dividends. Um, and so sometimes, uh, I, and I know that uh, Starbulk has one coming up, SBLK, uh, one of the group mates in here. Um, it also has, um, you know, Zim has one coming up uh, fairly soon. So, you know, with, with that, and, and I mean, for Zim, I think it's over 4%, uh, you know, the price. So wow. that's something where Marketsmith will make an adjustment. Uh, we don't want to show, because the, the exchange is going to make an adjustment in price. It's going to adjust it down if it's, you know, a dividend is getting paid out, especially a large one, you're going to see kind of a gap down. Um, but for Marketsmith, we're going to correct for that, um, kind of treat it almost like a split and you, you're going to see an adjustment to the price. So do you think that dividend, that large dividend is coming into play here? Um, I mean, normally you think of people wanting
3: a large dividend, but do you think maybe people are... Hey, I don't want the dividend, I don't want the cash you know? yeah that uh, that's a good question. I don't know. yeah mm-hmm. usually you would think that they'd hold on get the dividend and then maybe get out of it mm-hmm. um, yeah that, that that's interesting i I'm not sure I heard about the dividend, but uh, I'm not sure i I mean a lot of times I won't try to think about it too deeply in in that. I'd try to keep it simple and just say, okay, what's this price and volume saying here? Yeah. Uh, one thing to note with a Zim and I've, I've I've tried this a few times, but uh, this is a stock that you're better off buying on the pullback mm-hmm. versus on the breakout, right. Or near it's all near it's all high. Even the last time when it got near 60 got sold, sold out. And you know, when it really got past that 55, 50, you could have said that was a couple of handle right there that it broke out of, but it didn't, even, it didn't make a lot of progress. Uh, but a few days ago I had that nice upside reversal where it undercut the yeah. short-term kind of price trading range right there. And then you had some good, decent volume coming in, mm-hmm. nice up-thread reversal. That was, in my opinion, the ideal time to try to get into it. Uh, and if you were, if you bought it around there, you still could hold it a little bit longer because you're not really down on it, just it? You're kind of back to where you were a couple of days ago. So um, kind of in a different area,
0: but one of these areas... That together has been showing strength. Um, a lot of the home builders uh, we were noting on IBD Live on Monday how uh, real estate was one of the better performing groups, um, and you know you have REITs that are actually performing fairly well. Uh, so let's take a look at Toll Brothers ticker symbol on this is T O L. Uh, this is one that you know broke out a few days ago and is looking like it's continuing to make a move. Now one of the tricks here though was it was having this breakout. Right before earnings. So uh, you're, you're in a marketing correction, you've got earnings
3: coming up, you see a breakout. Can you even act on something like this? Yeah, if you're going to act, you definitely want to go in smaller, especially with all the variables that you mentioned there, Justin. Uh, but on, I think it was 12.2, because it was probably around that time, or I think it was 12-1 when a lot of the growth stocks, or the last remaining high valuation growth stocks got mm-hmm. hit. We had a number of like the, it was it was on November 22nd, where tons yeah. of kind of cloud stocks or like, you know, the Asanas and the cloud flares, they got crushed. Mm-hmm. Then eventually they got they got uh, got to the rest of them <laughs> on December 1st. Um, but, and, and so on that day, you know, it was, it was Toll Brothers, I noticed, hey, that's actually up. Um, and it's building a big base. And then the next day on 12, uh, 12 December 2nd, I'm keep saying twelve too, but December 2nd, that, that was, a, that, that's where your breakout was right there, but it, it didn't make it more complicated because you had earnings. So if you were going to try, you can go in smaller, or you could look at the one, one of the groups that reared, they all kind of travel in a pack together, the housing group, right? The builders, they mm-hmm. all travel. So if you saw a toll and noticed, Hey, they're reporting earnings in a few days, you could go through and say, are there any other members of the group right. that are breaking out or recently broke out that already gone past earnings? And there were a few of them. Yep. Um, so so DHI, H- H- D- uh, yep, you know, D- was D- one D- that's been our, exactly. mm, yep. mm,
0: yeah, that, that one would, we featured on, I think, uh, Stock of the Day, that was, you know, it, it was something that just, again, it was holding up so well. And getting back to your point on the relative strength, um, you look at, you know, either one of these, and you see that here again, you've got the, the strong the strong 12-month, but really strong three-month and six-month too. So uh, not only is it, you know, it, it's all the time frames. Uh, and you would think that with a long base like this, that it could potentially lose at least some of that short-term uh, relative strength. But the fact that these still are maintaining that three-month rate relative strength rating, I think is pretty impressive for this group.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Justin. It's not obvious when we're looking at the DR Horton chart here coming out of this double bottom. It's not obvious that they would have a a three month rating of three month relative strength rating of 96. But when you look at the chart and kind of put everything together, it's like, well, it did go from 82 to 104 during that time. Yeah. So, so I guess it makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why it's nice to have that RS three month right, right up there. I mean, even like Toll wow, Toll has an RS rating of 97 during this time, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily obvious because it's coming out of this really big base. Uh, but that, that's why it's good to look at the data points in a little bit d- different uh, way. Um, the other thing is, especially in a market like this, these bases that have taken some time and, and for like a Toll Brothers and a DR Horton, they've taken four to five months to go sideways. So- yeah. When they started to merge out of these bases, those are pretty significant breakouts uh, that they should have a little bit better chance of working or at least not be as volatile.
0: Mm -hmm. Now,
3: we're talking a lot about the
0: technical side of things, but I mean, there's a fundamental side to these as well. And I mean, you know, with home prices being as high as they've gone, uh, you know, you look at the Case-Shiller Index, um, and you've got these... uh, you know, 10-year treasury, which a lot of people are thinking is going to be going up as tapering happens and, um, you know, potential Fed rate increases down the road. Um, Does it strike you as odd on the fundamental side that the home builders are still strong? Or do you like, hey, you know what, I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to go by what the chart is telling me. I think in the end you have to go
3: by the, the chart, but yeah, it, it does. It does make me wonder why, but I, I, but maybe I guess it's just more of the housing shortage yeah. that has, has more of the kind of impact or you have that inflationary kind of thing too, that, Hey, uh, for a lot of these kind of real assets mm-hmm. they're I mean, it's ridiculous how much home prices have gone over the last year, yeah. um, especially in LA. It's just like, where, where are you going to live? You know? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, so yeah, it, it is a little crazy. But in the end, I, the reason why I, I really love this system and methodology is you don't have to think about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, lo, you know put, put, look at the, the, the earnings and sales, the margins, some other data points, the proprietary ratings, and then look at the charts and, and, and see if they're behaving well, see if they're be, behaving healthy and being accumulated. Yeah,
0: I, certainly there's a number of times where the, the chart is saying one thing and I don't know the why but sometimes the why comes out later and yes. you know, it's obvious then, but it's never yes. obvious when you're in the moment, right? Uh, so, okay, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, next week's show, we're gonna have Jim Ropel. We're gonna welcome him back to the show. He's always a, a, an audience favorite, um, can-slim growth investor, you know, going way back, uh, you know, mentored by Bill uh, and when he was a client uh, of, of William O'Neill and company. So we always love having him on the show. So it'll be great to see him again. So make sure you tune in for that. and. Uh, That'll be it for us this week. Thanks a lot for watching. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.